Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Ross Cummins of the recently reformed Symposium. Uh, This was such a great chat. Um, Ross has got wonderful taste in music and has got some lovely little stories. And uh, and I got to see Symposium. uh, uh, they're probably one of their most uh, anarchic gigs, which we, we chat about. Um, and we talk skateboarding. We talk about a lot of great records. And it's a, it's a joy. It's a real joy, this one. And uh, when we finished recording, we had a, a nice little natter as well. He's just a, a, a real good guy. So um, you're going to love this chat today. Um, before we get on with the chat, a few thank yous. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, thanks to 76 for producing this podcast. Um, and thanks, obviously, to you lot for continuing to support Off The Beaten Track. Um, yeah, it's so nice that to know that the, these lovely chats you know, uh, uh, received warmly uh, by your ears. And uh, and then, yeah, you then respond with your fingers and send little messages on the socials and stuff saying thanks and, and that you enjoyed it. And, yeah, and if there's other guests that you'd like to hear, hear me chat to and find out about all the records that have been important on their creative journeys, then, um, yeah, let me know. Always looking for new and exciting guests. Um, if it's your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Um You've missed a lot. You've missed about 400 episodes, but that's all right. We're very welcoming here. But all I say is that when you finish listening to today's chat with Ross, go and have a rummage in that archive. Imagine it's like a a second-hand record shop, just full of um, really nice, uh, you know, old chats and natters, and you can have a a flick through. and, And, yeah, you can hear me chatting to... The Foo Fighters. Um, you can hear me chatting to Chuck D of Public Enemy. Um, some wonderful acting talent like Thomas Turgoose of This Is England and Joe Hartley of This Is England. Um, the legend that is Maxine Peake. Oh my God, that's a wonderful, wonderful chat, that one. Um, loads of great indie bands like Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods. Uh, there's stacks. Um, big rock and roll bands like... Um, Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, Mastodon, Papa Roach. Uh, yeah, there's 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 bundles, and uh, and if you like your funny peeps, then James Acaster, Ed Gamble, Jade Adams, Maisie Adams. Uh, yeah, 
there's uh, there's loads. If you like your your producers, I had a great chat with Butch Fig, and uh, that was lovely. Getting to hear what it was like to record Nevermind and Sonic Youth and Smashing Pumpkins. Like that was a, a great chat and. Uh, my, my natter with Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim. That's a really good listen. Um, what a, a lovely human he was. Um, there's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So go get uh, stuck in. If you'd like to support the podcast, because they're all for free, um, there is an opportunity to do that. And it costs you a dollar a month, which is about, what's that, 75p a month. So less than 20p a week. And for that, you get... Uh, you can watch all of the episodes. Uh, I upload all the videos of uh, of the podcast, so you can watch them all. So there's no ads either on them. Um, and you get access to uh, loads of radio shows uh, that I put together where I have a little natter and play some records. Loads of playlists. Um, yeah, loads of stuff, really. Um, get over there. And, uh, and for, like I say, less than 20p a week, uh, you can support the podcast. And... Uh, and that's essentially what you're doing. You're going to get loads of other stuff for it, but that dollar a month goes in the pot to to pay for the production and stuff to ensure that you still get two episodes every week for free. Um, anyway, that's enough of the waffle. Oh, just quickly, everything you need to know is at offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Anyway, please enjoy today's episode with the wonderful Ross Cummings of Symposium. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So, One of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, stew with him. Okay, we are recording. Ross, how are you today? Hey, Stu. I'm very well, thanks. How are you, mate? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, at home with the family today, working from home? I am indeed, yeah. Yeah, working from home today. Kids got an inset day, so um, I've got full house Love it. Uh, today. Love <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Where's home these days? Um, I, I live in um, Hertfordshire. Oh, um, lovely. In a place, yeah, a place called Hitchin. Oh, no. Um, yeah, yeah, which is like it's it's really cool place actually. I love it here, and I, ca- I sort of had to move here really just for sort of um, work purposes, really, because like before this, I was sort of living in Norfolk um, mm. for a while, and that was really cool as well. But um, yeah, I sort of came down this way because I thought, well, it's sort of in betweeny sort of place between London and Cambridge, and yeah. you know, like my sort of wife's family are from Norfolk as well. So yeah, and um, really nice town yeah lovely yeah. and there's there's a there's yeah. a venue there right 
There is, yeah, yeah. I literally live across the road from it. Um, Club 85 is a fantastic venue. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they get, we had the wedding present with there a couple of weeks back. Oh, they've they um, done South End as well on that tour. Yeah. Yeah, good, good little tour that. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I, I remember when I moved there, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, there's a venue across the road as well. I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, I just go over there now for a cheeky little, you know, beer. And <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's let's start your playlist, mate. And I'm going to ask you, please, for track one, Ross, to tell me uh, the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Oh, Stu, well, this, you know, very hard question, you know, because I could have picked at least, you know, 20 different songs here. But um, I've had to settle on this one because, obviously, it's a momentous tune. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've gone with I Want to Be Adored by... The Mighty Stone Roses. Oh, it's a beauty, isn't it? It's a great tune, you know. And th- this song, it reminds me of that, you know, beautiful sort of transitional period between, you know, the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, where you had that sort of crossover of rave culture and indie bands. And, you know, obviously th- this was all sort of like, you know, before Britpop had happened and, you know, grunge hadn't happened yet. Mm. And, you know, I think back then, you know, there was a real sort of Britishness to a lot of the bands that, that were around then, you know, that sort of in-betweeny phase where you, you you sort of had, you know, obviously there's all the baggy stuff like, you know, Happy Mondays uh, and obviously Stone Roses. Mm. Um, but then you had around that time, like bands like, you know, like all the sort of, all them sort of shoegazer bands like Ride and, my bloody Valentine, yeah. Drop 19s, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and I think there was a real sort of ethereal sort of quality to the music that they were playing then. And, you know, I think the Stone Roses were masters of that, you know, like creating sounds that sort of tap into your consciousness and give you that sort of anticipation, really, that, you know, like something's going to happen, that change is coming. You know, so I think it's a really sort of hopeful um, and empowering song that yeah, it's, and what a way to start a record as well. Yeah, and it, it it's um, I mean the one thing that is quite interesting about that song is that it, it's written in the uh, pentatonic scale, which is essentially it's just five notes. So you know you hear that bass line, you know, like and it's 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 kind of familiar, you know, like you feel like you've heard it before, and there's a reason for this, and the reason is the pentatonic scale, right? And these these scales, right? They're one of the oldest known scales in the world. Like archaeologists have like dug up ancient flutes. Um, you know, carved out of like bird bones, and many of them are tuned to this scale. So we're talking about like forty thousand, sixty thousand years ago. So you know that that's what I mean about you know this song sort of tapping into your consciousness. You know, I think that scale is like part of everyone's DNA. It's a, it's a really clever thing because you know, basically any any song that's ever been written or been a massive hit in general, it's it's been written using that scale. So like stuff like um, what's it like um, Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven, that's used in that scale. Temptations, My Girl, Jimmy, well Jimmy Hendrix or Bob Dylan along the Watchtower, 
Elton John, your song. Um, and I think even like the, the, I think the verse and chorus of the, um, no, uh, under the bridge. Yeah. That, that's by Chili, but that's all done in that scale. And then George Gershwin, he used to use that as well, like summertime, but, um, yeah, sorry, I'm sort of going off in a No, I'm loving this. I'm, scale, I'm, I'm absolutely it is, loving it. But it is interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, did you ever get that where you listen to a song and you're like, it, it really touches you, you know, you really feel it and you think, why, you know, why does this mean so much to me? It's just a scale. It's just... It's so <laughs> weird, right, a, you, you say just, this. Because when, I mean, um, we, we was we was chatting over WhatsApp the other day and we were saying that we've got a mutual friend in uh, Jason Perry from A. Uh, and... And, and obviously Jason's, you know, gone on to become a, a, a producer. And and I was, and he will often talk exactly how you've just spoken then, Ross. And and I messaged him a little while ago saying that I can't get my head around how good Be The One by Dua Lipa is. Uh, I went, it's perfect pop. Yeah. And he went, do you know why you like that? And I went, no. He went, because it's Boys of Summer by Don Henley. It's that, yeah. it's that scale and like that chord progression. And I was like, is it? And he went, yeah. He went, and you've got that song like entrenched in you, Boys of Summer, as this yeah. perfect piece of pop music. And he went, that's what that is. And I was like, shit. Like, and it's, I, probably, I, it's probably that's probably it's probably the pentatonic scale. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, and it doesn't those five notes. It doesn't matter. You get a major or minor. It doesn't matter what you know, what, what, what order you put them in, but you know, it's interesting. And I just tell you what's, what's, um, actually Jason from a as well, I should say top, top, top bloke, you know, we, we, we sort of go back quite a long way. Um, me and Jason, um, but we can talk about that later on, but, uh, um, yeah, there's this guy, if you Google it on YouTube, just put in Bobby McFerrin demonstrates the power of the pentatonic scale. And it's really funny. Cause Bobby he, McFerrin of Don't Worry, Be Happy, Bobby McFerrin. Indeed, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, so like, it's really funny because he sat there with a load of neuroscientists and, like, <laughs> a load of people in the audience. And he starts off this scale and uh, all the people in the audience finish it for him. And uh, and then he, 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 just, he just does that roundabout, you know, does it different ways. The crowd will just sing back to him. He gets them all singing it. And then he does a little kind of improvisation around what they're doing. And it goes on for about, you know, a minute or two, something like that. And he, he was sort of saying, you know, no matter where I go in the world, um, everyone knows this and understands it. And it, it just proves, doesn't it, that, you know, music is the, uni- it's the universal divider. Like it, it brings people together, doesn't it? You know, oh, it's, it's the universal language. Was it universal language or whatever? Is that, is that what... I can't remember who said that, but maybe it was James Brown or someone. But it's true. Ah, uh, and do you know what? Like, did, did you watch any of? The, we, we're recording this um, the, the the day after Glastonbury uh, has, has finished. Did you watch any of the Glastonbury footage? I did. I was waiting. You know what? I I mean, I've watched. I've been watching a lot of it, and um, I mean, I wish I was there. Mm. Um, but I, 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 I've been dipping in and out to different bands, but. Um, I was wait. I started watching the you know Maca on uh, the, the other night, mm. and um, I'm ashamed to say I got a bit tired and went to bed because mm. <laughs> I had a busy day. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll catch up on this tomorrow on iPlayer. And then Sunday came around. I was like, it went, it went on iPlayer. It took, they took all day to put it on. It didn't come on until like last night sometime. But um, myself and my wife 
watched uh, watched um, you know um, Paul McCartney last night. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the best gigs I think I've ever seen. Oh. I, 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 it was amazing. You, you, Don't you think? I, I mean, the dude, how old is he? Like eight, one or two or so, or eighty? I don't I know. I think he's, he's eighty. Yeah. I mean, r- ridiculous. Like, and. And also finishing on Golden Slumbers as well, which I, I didn't see that coming, and that's my favourite. And I was like, oh, what a beauty to finish on. Just, yeah, like, I, I, I will never get past the concept of just thinking, that's an actual beetle. That's a beetle. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. mad, isn't yeah. it? And you just think, like, oh. yeah, absolutely crackers. Have you not caught the Pet Shop Boys yet? No, no, I'm going to hopefully watch that today. I saw like a couple of the other bands. I watched the Idols gig. Oh, wonderful. That was good. Wonderful. Um, and um, who else did I watch? I, t- I watched a few others. I can't remember now who it was, but, um, you know, I'm just going through them all basically oh, when I have time. But I'd love to see the Pet Shop Boys. I'm sure that was good. They just smashed yeah. out a greatest hits. <laughs> and like, and you just think, oh my God, they've got so many perfect pop records like yeah it's just incredible yeah it was like i can't cope with hearing crads singing it makes me cry like whenever i, I hear <laughs> crads singing songs back it absolutely breaks me and uh oh there was a few with maca that, that that just set me off and uh yeah, yeah. you feel quite emotional don't you watching oh, it it, is, do. it goes full circle back to why i mentioned this about that music yeah. brings people together and it's that connection yeah. and that that, that oh, yeah, just that sort of yeah. feeling of coming together is is just really lovely, and I yeah. don't know if that's just the the hippie in us all, but no. yeah, I love no, it. We're all the same. We're all the same. We're all the same. But yeah, I'm sorry. I too. I mean, we we've, we've gone on a tangent here, and I should get back to the Stone Roses to the yes. song, right? Let's do it. But like the um. So anyway, we talked. About, I mean, we spoke about the tonic scale for a while, <laughs> but like yeah, like so the opening as well to this song I quite like, you know, because um. It, you know, you've got that sort of crackling sound at the beginning of mm. the, the the song. It sounds like some sort of factory noises or something like that. And it sort of conjures up sort of images of, you know, the dark sort of satanic mills up north, you know, the fires are being lit. It's like a call to arms, you know. It, it really conjures up to me um, kind of images of sort of like, like you say, you know, like Glastonbury, English folklore, fucking King Arthur shit, you know, people <laughs> standing on mounds, Stonehenge, majestic stuff. There's alchemy at work here. So I think that, you know, sets the scene nicely. You're like, God, something's coming. And then you get Manny coming in with his bass set. Was it Manny? Yeah, Manny, right? I get confused because he was in primals for a bit, wasn't he? um, So, yeah, you got Manny coming in there with his five five notes on the bass. John Squire does that beautiful bit of psychedelic improvisation around them five notes. It keeps building and then bam, you're off. Drum crash comes in. You got the refrain before the verse on the, on the guitar. Um, and then you're off and, you know, obviously your man, John Squire is a ridiculously good uh, guitar player, isn't he? He's sort of a law unto himself, isn't he? Um, and, you know, Ian, we talk about Ian Brown as well, right? You know, he, I mean, his singing style, you know, I just really liked. I thought he's just really cool. You know, I think it's pretty punk the way he sings the song. You know, it sounds to me a bit half-assed yeah. the way he sings it. Well, his, his um, vocals then, get, get you know, often criticised live. And like, but I don't give a fuck. It's Ian Brand. No. And like, and I think 
the reason that I don't know why people hate on his voice live. I don't think it's a million miles away from what it is on record. He's not got on. He's not a Mariah Carey on paper, is he? But it doesn't matter. And as you're right, it's, it's no, punk as no. fuck. That's that's no, that's what it is. Exactly, Stu. It's about attitude. Mm. That's what's important. Um, you know, I think when you know, obviously, tune is important in the song, but attitude counts for everything. And that's why I say. Ian Brown, yeah, some people do kind of give him a bit of a stick now and again about his voice and all that. But, you know, the fact is, you know, he he, he conveys um, the emotion in the song really well through his attitude. Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, attitude, most important thing in rock and roll, you know, um, the attitude is the icing on the cake for this song. Um, that seals the deal. That, that just seals the deal for me with any song, really. Um, you know, and I think that's what people like about it. There know, wasn't like a cooler uh, man on the planet in 1989 than Ian Brown. Yeah, no. Different level. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing is as well, you know, that's, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, one song uh, uh, can basically inspire a whole generation of kids yeah. to go and start bands, you know, which basically, um, I, mean, I mean, I hate saying this word, um, resulted in uh, Brit pop. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, like, you know, Oasis, would they yeah. have existed if they hadn't seen no Stone chance. Roses? Or would, would Liam be Liam now? No way. I mean, yeah, he always knew what he wanted to be. But, you know, he's often yeah. cited like Ian Brown as a massive influence on on, yeah. uh, on him. But, but that's it. That's that kind of thing, though, that translates to kids. It's like watching Sex Pistols for the first time yeah. or whoever, right? It's like, oh, you know, they, I could do that. Yeah, I could definitely do that. You know, and it's giving kids that sort of empowerment um, is just a very special thing to do. And not many, not, no, there aren't that many bands that can do it, really. I yeah. don't know. I've seen a handful of bands like that. But it's funny, and they call, you know, all of that sort of second summer of love thing, Spike Island. You know, I love, they, I love the things they, they were a bit naughty as well, weren't they? You know, like they threw sort of paint, paint over record company yeah. executives. You know, and did you see that one... Um, when they played live on the late show, the late like show they, yeah. had a, they had a power cut <laughs> and Ian Brown was sort of you know, telling him, yeah, you're all amateurs. That's live, <laughs> live TV. Now that stuff don't really happen anymore. Does it? You know? No, no. But then um, I guess that's what, if you put, you know, young working class lads with, with, with a bit of attitude and swagger in a situation like that, then they're going to behave how they would normally behave. And they're, they're not trying to be anything they're not. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's something slightly endearing about that. You know, that, that, that's who they are. And it's, like, it's realness. It's realness. Yeah. It's realness as well, isn't it? It's and like, you, um, you mentioned Second yeah. Summer of Love as well, and you mentioned that that kind of 89, that hybrid of, you know, e- electronic music and, and, and guitar music sort of fusing and, and, and creating this moment. And, and I think if you look at... Um, I want to be a daughter as an example. I mean, Fool's Gold is the perfect hybrid of, of you know, lazy sort of like beats and, 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 and guitars. But if you look at I want to be a daughter and you, you, you know, you break down, uh, you know, a blue Monday or a, you know, a strings of life or any of these iconic electronic like songs, any DJ wants that kind of intro and then the drop. Mm. Yeah. I want to yeah. be a daughter's that. It's got that perfect thing. It's a DJ's dream. You can just build it, build it, build it, and then boom, 
you just get that drop and fuck me, it's a payoff, isn't it? When that, when that it's, drops, oh, yes, please. It's a powerful thing. I mean, <laughs> in the, even the lyrics, like you think about them lyrics, right? Right, because it's, it's just one verse yeah. and then a refrain over and over again. I mean, like you'd think he, he, he would have written maybe more lyrics for the song, but you know what? He didn't have to because the song, yeah. you know, it's perfect. You know, I can't think of any, I can't think of any other song with that amount of lyrics that has has sort of a, a, has done so well, you know, or has achieved that much. I, I can't think of one. I'm sure there is one out there. Off the top of my head, I'm struggling. It, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. But and also, the, 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 obviously, the song it's not about wanting to be adored. It's actually the exact opposite. You know, I read. Um, that he was trying to say that, you know, wanting to be adored, it's like a sin. It's like lust or greed or whatever. And, you know, a true artist, you know, should never sell his soul and, you know, should be careful to preserve the flame of creativity. And, yeah, that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Think- Ross, I am going to ask it- you for track two and I'm going to ask you please to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please yeah right okay so um well I mean um I grew up in West London right in uh, in a council flat and both my parents were Irish working class so my earliest sort of memories was probably listening to Irish music and the radio and stuff and um I mean my mum used to listen to a lot of Motown records, like the Supremes, uh, the Temptations, the Four Tops and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, like I say, I mean, there's a lot of Irish music in my, um, my household as well. And I come from a big musical Irish background. Um, my dad was in a band called the Cummins Family Band and they, they'd sort of play all the pubs in Tipperary. So when I'd go over, um, normally like with my dad. Um, to Ireland, to Ross Gray. Um, my earliest sort of memories, you know, were probably watching them playing in, in the pub yeah. and just um, being kind of like in awe, really, uh, sort of watching, you know, my, my my family really just, they would like sit in one corner of the room um, and just kick off and just start playing and, every, and basically everyone just be drinking and that, you know, and uh, I, I was pretty young then, um, I just remember sort of just walking around a smoky pub with loud Irish music. And uh, the one memory I have is just eat, drinking Nash's Irish red lemonade, um, which is something you couldn't really get in England. And I used to just drink loads of that and eat Tato's crisps. You ever seen Tato's crisps? Yeah, of course. They're like with a funny little man on the front. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that's my youngest sort of earliest moments. And also I remember going to, to my granddad's house and, my uncle had left home and he'd left his Danzette player there in his room with all of his records and stuff. And so, you know, my first memories of that sort of getting into music was just sifting through all of his vinyl and seeing like, you know, putting on the Beatles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose that was the, the earliest memories, but then going in then to secondary school, um, sort of towards the late eighties. I mean, I was into things like Guns and Roses and Iron Maiden, mm. U2, Prince was a big one for me, Beastie Boys, I mean, all that. Um, but then when I went got into secondary school, um, 
then sort of started getting into kind of more kind of um kind of alternative music yeah um so um I mean, we could probably talk about skateboarding actually, because I was, you know, like basically I was big into skateboarding. Yeah. Um, and, and back then, a lot of the skate videos that would come out, they kind of introduced me to bands like, you know, like No Effects and Bad Religion, Operation Ivy, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and Fugazi was a big one for me. Like that, that had quite a big emotional impact on me. So that album, Thirteen Songs, <sighs> which is basically more or less like a precursor to Nevermind for yeah, me, you know, because it opened the door on that whole kind of hardcore scene. But yeah, that song Waiting Room had a big impact on on me. And also my friend Hagop, who played guitar in our band, um, you know, we, we, we basically watch. Um, he had like a, he had a minor fret video that he'd sourced from some. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we basically used to and watch just, that. Just, just, sorry to interrupt it, you there, yeah. Ross, but the, the impact, uh, and, and, and you know, it sounds, for, for anybody that's probably like of a YouTube generation, it's like, when you just go and watch a fucking minor threat video, it's like, back then... You that that stuff didn't exist anywhere. You'd have to either go and spend like twenty quid on Camden Market for this Schneid bootleg video. Like other than that, you couldn't get access to this stuff. So when you did, it was like rocking all shit, wasn't it? It was like you know, you just watch it over and over and over again and like and just devour yeah. it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like before the day yeah, I mean I'm it just sound really old now. Yeah, I'm 44, <laughs> but like, you know, like before the, you got before the internet, you don't have that. You don't have um, BBC six. Um, you've got John Peel, I suppose. Um, he, he, he obviously played a lot of alternative stuff, but back then you did have to do some investigation. You know, if you wanted to find out about alternative music or any sort of counterculture thing, you had to do some sort of digging or like you'd read fanzines or like you might hear, you know, someone might tell you an older brother or something might say, Oh yeah, have you heard of this lot or whatever? So, um, 
yeah, you did have to do a bit of investigation, but that was part of the fun of it, really. It did feel like you're in a bit of a little secret club, you know. And Absolutely. all of that sort of stuff was really influential for um, for symposium, you know, like watching the, the, the minor threat videos and, you know, the sort of chaos on stage and people jumping on the stage, people grabbing the mic, stage diving, all that sort of stuff was really kind of influential. And it, it also sort of um, made us think like, oh, well, you know, maybe you don't have to be like uh, Slash to be in a band or be that good. It's all about attitude. And if you, you know, you've got the right F, sort of DIY ethic, you can just go and do this stuff. So it gave us sort of hope. We were thinking, right, well, you know, if you minor fret can do it playing three chords and screaming, then, you know, we could probably do it. But um, yeah, um, that, yeah. So anyway, that song, Waiting Room, was a big one as well. Because I, I remember one of the lyrics in there is um, function is the key. But that's one of the lyrics in there, and um, it sort of uh, it kind of yeah, it kind of hit home a bit for me. Really, that like that, that, this is that if you've got an idea and you've got something you want to do, then you know you know what your function is now, and you know what you need to go and do. So just go and do it. Uh, yeah, that, lovely. So, do you think? Yeah, but um, but well, go on. What no, you go on, mate. Go on. No, no, I was just going to go off like on a rant about skateboarding. Do it. Um, because like skateboarding for me, um, it, it, you know, and I know you, you, you kind of used to do skateboarding, mm. didn't you? Or you, you kind of like, because I, I was, um, you know that one, that interview you done with a guy from Dirty Sanchez? Yeah. I remember you talking about like how you got your, your, your little girl aboard. That's right. Yeah. How, how good it was for her and, and that. And I, that really touched me that actually. I was like, yeah, full on, you know, that's, it is a special thing, you know, like it's basically wasn't going to say like skateboarding for me, um, it equals the same thing as rock and roll. And that is empowerment, yeah. freedom. And it, it also gave me a lot of self-belief in myself, you know, and, and confidence and taught me how to communicate um, with different people. Um, Cause like back in, um, back in the nineties, you know, you'd go down South bank, right. In the nineties, there was a real melting pot of kids from all all over London and even outside of London, you know, and they'd all go there and, you know, you'd get talking to different people. Um, and then, you know, you'd find out, uh, you know, just by talking to different kids from different backgrounds, different cultures and everything, you know, like what they were into and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, you know, a lot of these kids, they were like artists or they were making skate movies or, you know, they were into making music or, you know, but lots of people kind of, you know started bands and stuff like that so it's what i really consider to be you know proper grassroots counterculture and it's that whole sort of diy ethic you know if you want to do something you just go and do it like back in 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 those days as well skateboarding it was looked down upon it wasn't like a cool thing really it was like you were basically a loser if you're a skater there was no you know there's no olympic no olympics back then you know even though it was a sport you did feel like you were sort of I mean I felt like like I wasn't that I, I, I did feel like you know no that I didn't have any support mm. but I was like I'm I'm a young person like where I lived in sort of between Shepherdsbush and Hammersmith it was um it was pretty rough like it wasn't it wasn't that nice there mm. like I mean it, it, it now to live there it's quite nice around there but back then there were kids on around my area living on the States, dealing drugs, like doing petty crime, all that sort of stuff. I was like, you know, 
you know, fuck that. I just, I was like, I'm going to do skateboarding because it's good for me. It's good for my mental health. Kept me on the right, the right, the sort of straight and narrow. Yeah. But like, it was so cool back then because we, we were like West side of London. So we used to skate under the Westway and Roy, there's Royal Oak. Um, that we, we basically built our own skate park there because, you know, the council didn't really, there was nowhere to skate. And in fact, you're an Essex boy, aren't you? I am. We used to, the only park I ever used to go to was, um, I mean, we had like a concrete bowl under Westway um, and the big Westway ramp, which they took away because um, I think someone broke their neck on it or something. But um, we used to, I used to get on the district line and go all the way up to, is it Elm Park? To Rom. Skate Park. Yeah. Go to Rom, yeah. And that was like a proper journey, that was like, that was I- like a all day of things have you seen yeah. the, the documentary film they made about rom about two years ago no no i, I did hear about it but oh, i'd love to see it go yeah, watch it yeah. do you know what but that you mentioned dayton from sanchez like um him and pritchard come come to my little shed at the end of the garden a few years ago to record a, a different podcast i do uh and they come down and and they said look we're, we're down we do your podcast but we are going to like the mecca we're going to rom and like, and they were so excited to go to Rom Skate Park, and it's like we took it for granted in Essex. You know, it was like we're just going to Rom, isn't it? And it's like, but it's it's a destination. That it was. is, yeah, like absolutely. But there was nothing in there was nothing in London. There was nothing. There was there was nowhere to skate apart from South Bank, or you had um, there was Royal Oak. Mm. Um, but the, but we were all always at odds with the council. They were always taking away the ramps and stuff. Um, and then what else was there? That was basically it. There was a place in Blackfriars that got open kind of illegally, I think, which was like a um, sort of under the arches there for a bit. But there was there wasn't really anything there. But um, Harrow Skate Park as well. That was one. That was another one. There was like a, 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 a label called New Deal. The New Deal. They were really good. They put out and they, that, that, they put out some great. Um, some great videos and, and like, again, like the soundtracks to all of them were amazing. Like all of the kind of Santa Cruz streets on fire. Yeah. That was a great, great, you know, that came in at 89 and that sort of introduced me to bands like Sonic Youth, Minutemen, Black Flag, Firehose, Descendants. Then you had Hate Street, Hocus Pocus. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but I could talk about this stuff forever. Really. I've bored, probably boring out all your listeners to death. And then not at all. Like you, 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 you're in, uh, you're in good company. Yeah. I, it's where I, I, I first heard freak scene by dinosaur junior was on a skate vid. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and just, it, it, the main thing I'm trying to get across here basically is that it, it was, um, it was opening doors for people uh, and for, for kids of that era, you know, like a lot of those kids, um, you know, you used to have like slam city and rough trade. They used to share, you know, a shopping. It's really weird you say this, um, right? Because I had um, Ian Baker um, from Jesus Jones on the podcast. Oh, uh, wicked, wicked, yeah, yeah. And Ian worked in Slam City, like, and he said that's yeah. basically how he got the gig in Jesus Jones because he was the cool guy that could get him cool clothes, uh, and so he, he literally learned to play keyboards. But he said, obviously, now. Nah, Everybody wears fans, you know. And he said, but back then, if you was in a pub, you know, in the late 80s and you saw someone in a pair of vans, you was like, all right, you skate. Yeah. You know, you'd go and talk yeah. to them because you knew that they skated yeah, right. and it was like they were in the club. Do you know what I mean? And I love stuff Mate, like ne- that. 
you, you know what you used to you used to do is you'd look at their shoes and if you saw that it had that little hole in Course. it, you could tell that they were proper skates because they they would you'd wear the shoes out, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but yeah, but there was um there was loads of people who worked there like um that sort of started bands and stuff like that. And there was like a little kind of scene there for a bit in London. And one of my friends, Oliver Payne, he worked in there as well. He probably knows him, probably knows Ian, but um, he um, he used to work there. And he, you know, he now, he's like, his stuff's in the Tate and that. You know, he he did he designed skateboards, he makes films. And, you know, it's just that kind of thing, you know, where it, 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 was, a, it was just perfect in the 90s. You know, you had that just a good melting pot of like just creativity really absolutely absolutely okay track three tell me the song please that reminds you of your time at school oh well um i think from a like if we're talking about school um probably primary school it would be madness and baggy trousers um and madness were one of those bands you know they were just everywhere in the 80s weren't they they were all Mm. over like mtv and all that not that I had MTV, but you know, I think they, they had they, the most they, they top forty about, hits than any other band yeah. in the eighties, I believe. Yeah, they, they they soundtracked a lot of a lot of people's well, a lot of the kids of our generation, their their, their early years, right? The youth, the youth in there. Hmm. So I just remember being at school. I was singing their songs constantly at school and always getting told off by the teacher and just being, you know, a naughty boy. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing with madness is, you know. I really um, like the directness of Suggs' lyrics and the simplicity of them, you know, is also really good. And the sort of the wordplay and the sort of lyrical nuances, you know, like I always thought that, you know, in Suggs' sort of lyrics, always sort of giving a a sort of wink and a nod to the everyday sort of person, you know, like the, the sort of characters he was singing about, you know, I knew people like that and I knew people who talked like that. Um, And, yeah, I just think, you know, Suggs, he's a really good storyteller. You know, much like Ian Jury was, you know. Um, and, you know, when I say that there was a simplicity to the songs, you know, the songs were simple. Like, like Obviously, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense at all. You know, I think all good songs should be simple and have a directness to them so that, you know, anyone can relate to it. You know, and they, I think they executed that sort of song structure perfectly. Um, and, and, and I really like the fact that they weren't, they weren't pretentious, you know, and they didn't take themselves seriously. Um, and I always think that's important, you know, to have humor in songs and to get across your narrative in their sort of, uh, you know, to, to sort of help convey your message in humor. Um, you know, their tracks were full of that, weren't they? Oh, hugely. And, and ly- lyrically, um, I, I'm a, stupidly big madness fan and i'll take any opportunity on this podcast because baggy trousers gets chosen quite quite a lot because it's it's such an incredible record and, it, and anybody it would be my choice it'd be my choice as well um and the, the the social comedy but you touched on something there um when you said they didn't take themselves very seriously and i think even though they tackled subjects you know like um uh, yeah, they, like, songs they, like embarrassment and things like that, which were like, you know, really heavy subjects then. And, you know, and put themselves out there because they were getting lots of, sort of neo-Nazis at their shows. And they're like, fuck that. We, we are not about this. And like, mm. you know, they, they knew what they were, but because when you see them videos of, of, of madness, them really great, like, you know, where they just look like lads from down the road, 
I think it's that that means that they're not revered like Ian Jury, the Kinks, whereas I think they fucking should be because, you know, they've got so many fucking incredible records and the social commentary in Madness yeah. lyrics is he's, he's up there with the fucking Kinks and he's up there with Ian Jury, if not better, in my opinion. Um, you know, they've got... Yeah, that's right. Do you know what yeah, I mean? You hit the nail on that. You hit the nail on the head there, Stuart. The, the social commentary, yeah. So it's like under the surface, you dig into the lyrics, you look at it, yeah. There, you know, it, 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 it was. It, it, it is exactly what you said. That social commentary. You know, um, there's more. There's kind of more to it than absolutely. Them Absolutely. <laughs> Father gets up late for work. Mother has to iron his shirt. Then she sends the kids to school. Sends them off with a small kiss. She's the one they're going to miss in lots of ways. It's fucking yeah. amazing, you know. Yeah. And, and don't I'm, don't yeah. get me started. I'm, I'm going to quote the Middle Aches. It's one of it for me and my. I've, I've got a mate who's in a punk rock band called Cunt and the Gang, right? And uh, and uh, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant name. And oh, you, you, you'd like them. They, they've had two Christmas top fives the last two years with songs called Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt, um, and uh, and they've just had a jubilee top ten hit with. Uh, Prince Andrew is a sweaty nonce. Uh, so, uh, but he's, he's my best friend and was just a very, very um, unique punk rock kid when we were little kids. And, and whenever I hear, I remember way back then when everything was true and when we would have such a very good time, such a fine time, such a happy time. And I remember how we play Simply Wish the Day Away. Then we'd say nothing will come between us, two dreamers. That fucking lyric, man. Yeah, oh. it's ridiculous. Like, ass is incredible. Like, baggy trousers. That was everyone I went to school with. That was the shit that happened at my school. Like, if you was a working class kid, you was being a toe rag. And, like, and them songs, like, you know, it was just written for you. And then you'd see the videos and it'd be like, I want to hang out with Madness. They look like the best fun ever. Like, oh, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I get a bit excited when Madness get mentioned. No, no. No, hundred percent. You, you know, you hit their nail on the head there, Stu, with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, actually, I tell you a story about um, songs as well. Because you know, when you were talking about the lyrics there as well, is um, we wrote we wrote a song called Fizzy, which uh, which was basically inspired by Madness. And um, it, 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 I don't know if you have a look at the lyrics. It's just, we we sort of tried to do a similar kind of thing, um, and. Um, we record like the, the guys who recorded our album was were, were Clive and Alan Wynn Stanley. Oh, right. And um, yeah, and at, at the time we didn't know, I didn't know anything about them. I just thought they were just you know two old dudes, so both, both nice nice chaps, right? Um, but yeah, it turns out they recorded all in Madness. They've done they've done loads of stuff. Um, and <clears throat> when we played Reading, um, I think it was Reading '99 in the tent. Um, we Suggsy came out and sung the song with us. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. And because like, as as well, like my brother used to sort of hang out with his his daughter as well. Like they, because my brother's sort of five years younger than me. Mm. So um, yeah, I did sort of um, sort of meet him a good, a good few times and have you know I, 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 I have a few laughs with him. So that was like a real moment for me personally. You know, oh, um, in '99, and since then as well, I sort of saw him when they closed the. Uh, when they closed the donut at the Shepherd, Shepherd's Bush in mm. uh, White City, um, 
I was working for the BBC and I was doing like a, sort of uh, some IT work there. And uh, when they played, I uh, I sort of went backstage and sort of said, you know, hello to them all and all that. And it was a pretty kind of raucous night. And then at the end of the evening, because they were closing this, you know, that bit there, there was this weird sort of port cabin thing outside. Like I think people were smoking up something like that. And it was me and Suggs and we came out and uh, I was sat in it and he just started pushing it out of the BBC, out into the street, into White City. And uh, that was the last time I ever saw him. We are just being naughty for pushing this big portal cabin thing out into the middle of Shepherd's Bush. Or, Love that. And uh, I've got a picture of it as well, actually. I'll send it to you because my mate was there with me. He took a picture of him pushing it out. <laughs> oh, glorious. But, but yeah, but it's... Uh, that's well, a humble brag there. That's my humble brag there, Stu. Oh, so. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, I want to I, I want to touch on um, the band a little bit because um, I did message you that uh, I was at one of your shows um, in Essex uh, at the Wire Club in Chelmsford. And I don't know if that show resonates as heavy as it, with you as it does with, with, with people from Essex because... It got a lot of column inches, if I remember rightly, that show as well. I remember there being a big review of it in like the NME or the Maker, because correct me if I'm wrong, you got in the ceiling, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, that um, <laughs> that was uh, yeah. I can't um, right. I tell you who was there was uh, Everett True. That's right from the Melody Maker. So you know he's the guy that basically pushed Kurt Cobain on stage at Reading. Yeah. Um, you know when he came on on the wheel in the mm-hmm. wheelchair when everyone wasn't sure he was going to do the gig or whatever and um, yeah so he came and saw us there and um, you know it was a bit pretty it was a full on gig you know back then when we were kind of kids we, that was our kind of thing really was that we, we, we would just go nuts like fully nuts on stage um, to the point where you know maybe the, the, the actual songs weren't being played correctly but it didn't matter because it was all down to sort of uh, <laughs> youthful exuberance and um, an attitude again. Attitude, of course. Know, which was like, which was like, you know, if you're going to come to our show, you're going to leave all that all that fucking shit at the door. When you come in, we're going to blow your head off, and you're going to leave that show feeling on top of the world. You know, like, like that, like that. You want to go and start a band, and you can go and achieve anything you want to do. And that's what that was my goal all along. You know, it's, it's like I, I, I wanted kids especially young kids coming to our gig to be um empowered and influenced by by what we were doing because you know because i was a kid like that like most of the kids who came to our gigs anyway they're all the same age as us because we were like 18 or something so you know like we did have like kind of kinship between us and the audience because in my eyes we were the audience um you know except we were just sort of on the we were on the stage for some reason but that 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 gig they never had a fence ever at the, at the wire club, right? I saw so many bands and played them hundreds of times, but they never had a, like a, 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 like a gate or, or, or a, whatever you call it, a barrier, that's the word. Yeah. But they bought one in and, and I don't know if you know, but the promoter there, he's a fellow called John Dunn. Uh, and John ended up going on to set up Latitude and run Latitude and, and be one of the big oh, boys wow. at Live Nation and looks after Arcade Fire Amazing. and like he's uh, he's a, he's a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. And uh, and I remember like John going like, I reckon it could be a bit bit bonkers this one tonight. And I was like, 
you got much security? I said, like, I reckon, like, it's going to go off here uh, in the crowd. And uh, I said, it's going to be raucous. And he went, I think we'd be all right. And obviously, ever being the promoter, it'd be like, save a couple of quid. I don't want to pay for any more security. It'd be fine. And I remember the, the venue manager, I just remember him trying to hold this barrier. And every now and again, he sort of clocked me in the crowd. And he had this sort of look of absolute panic of like, oh, my God, what's happening to my venue? And I remember just thinking, this is the most fucking exciting thing I've seen in so long. And the next thing, if he weren't stressed enough about his venue falling apart, you remove a fucking ceiling tile from the suspended ceiling. And then I just see your feet just disappear into it. <laughs> Yeah. It was just panels and all, it all collapsed onto the sort of audience. And then I just remember for the whole gig, just bits of ceiling, just people throwing bits of that. Yeah. Was it, I don't know what it was made of, but the, people were just throwing bits of ceiling around. It was only like polystyrene uh, type stuff. Polystyrene I remember it, it obviously it fell all over my head. Um, and uh, I, I, I apologise. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> so it's not a lawsuit about to happen or anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I remember uh, the A boys were at that as well. They because they supported us at that at that gig too. Did they? Yeah, they were there that night. Love yeah. it. Yeah, Love I remember it. that, and I can't remember who else was on. I think there was a third band as well, but I, I can't remember. But I remember actually nearly getting arrested before the gig because um, Hagop had just passed his driving test, and um, we had this sort of previer van thing that was electric, and. Um, he decided that he would give me a lesson in it. And uh, I think at the end of the road, it was, I just don't, you do these stupid things when you're a kid, don't you? It's just like, I'm very impulsive. Um, and I, th- I, 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 I think I know why, but um, <laughs> like, I remember getting in that, in the, in the preview and just driving it down the street and um, basically going out, there was like a roundabout at the end of the street. Yeah. And uh, basically went, more or less went over the roundabout. And then a copper pulled us over and said, what, you know, what, what the fuck are you doing? And uh, Hagop said, oh, sorry, I just learned to, dr- to drive. And I just, um, we kind of wrangled our way out of it. And we ended up putting him on the guest list. And he came, the guy came to the gig, the copper came. So there were, he came to the gig and was like, oh, I see what you're not all about. <laughs> I think he enjoyed it, actually. We were like, oh, we're playing, we're playing down the road. No, it's all right. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. All right, I'm going to ask you to tell me uh, the first song you're buying from a record shop, please. Right. Well, that that I I have a strong memory um, of this, um, and um, I mean, when I mean the, the my first memories of buying records was probably when I was about eight or nine, um, and I used to go to this shop on North End Road Market um, called Ace Deals. And it was near to where my granddad lived. Um, So on Saturdays, basically, that's where I'd kind of go. Um, And um, I mentioned this actually in another podcast recently, actually, but it it was quite funny because when you used to go in there, um, it was quite unnerving uh, experience for me um, because when you would pay for anything in there, um, they they had like a massive German shepherd dog that used to be behind the counter. 
and it'd leap up and try and bite you when you <laughs> when you tried to give them the money. So as an eight, nine-year-old, I used to find that quite intimidating. But um, anyway, but the first sort of record I remember buying from there um, was a Spitting Image album called Spit in Your Ear. Um, and it came out in 1986. And it was the chicken song. Do you remember the chicken song? Of course. That was a big tune back then. And, uh, you know, as a sort of eight, nine-year-old, obviously that was, you know, quite, I think I quite liked that, you know, because it, it had the queen on the front looking like a punk rocker. And, um, you know, I could sort of, even at that age, you know, I, I, I just, you could sense that it was centre of left. And, like, you know, I liked it. It was a bit naughty. You know, I think that's why I was drawn to it. But, um, yeah, that, that sort of record shop became my sort of refuge, really between 86 and 89 and I, I was just in there all the time and like they also sold like patches um you know like uh like my mum basically used to sort of like sew them onto my jean jacket you know I'd be walking around like a little rocker nice. so it's like they had things like all their Mayan Maiden patches you know like um Eddie you know um you know I don't know what it is about kids you know why do kids that they're always drawn to sort of like uh sort of horror and death aren't they yeah of you course know, I, I, I've got a theory about this one. There's like with Eddie, you know, the I Maiden Eddie character is that that was like some weird marketing ploy by then. There, where it's like, oh, like you sort of like get kids when they're young, be like, oh, what's that monster? And then you know, you listen to the music, and then you know, you're a fan for life, aren't you? Yeah, that's what I think. It's so yeah. weird because. Uh, uh, Go on, sorry. No, no. Like no so, so many, so many cult yeah. like movements in music come and go, and and you see less and less of them now. Like, but metal just never changes. You know, there's it's still never, next no, generations of people discovering and buying an Iron Maiden patch and still putting it on their jacket, and it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's, I loved it. I, I used to love it. I loved it. I loved it. I was just, it was, it was brilliant. I just, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed just going to the shop, looking for all these records. I had no idea, you know, most of them, I just had absolutely zero idea about any of it. Um, and I remember the incense smell in there and just the, <laughs> just the sort of weird thing, like this is my my weird little hobby. And I don't know, I didn't know anybody else that would was into that sort of thing yeah. um, at, that, at that sort of age. And um I just, I, I, I loved it really. And I loved getting the patches. I was just, I think I was more into the patches than the music at the time. Maybe I don't know, but uh, I, I, I sort of, um, there was one patch in there that it, it, that it said um, it had a skeleton on it and two rifles. And it said, mess with the best, die like the rest. Love and uh, my mum sewed that onto the back of my jean jacket. And uh, I remember one day coming home from there and like a couple of, lads were like oh yeah mess with the best die like the rest eh? like, you know, they were going to sort of try and mug me or something and uh, luckily I knew I knew somebody from one of the estates and they were like oh leave him alone he's all right but then after that I was like I just didn't wear the jacket ever again after that I was like, oh, no but I um, want to talk about spitting image briefly because I don't know it, it, you know I'm, I'm five years older than you Ross but um for me, like, I never really understood spitting image I remember thinking it was puppets so it was brilliant but there was so much sort of political satire that I, I just had no idea about at the time. But if mm. I cast my mind back and I have to think of like politicians from the eighties uh, and like, and, and the Royal family, you know, in the eighties, like the queen, I instantly just don't think of them as, I just think of the spitting image puppets. I don't remember them actually being humans. I just think like, 
you know, people like Norman Tebbit, and I just think of the spitting image Norman Tebbit, and it's like, it's yeah. so, <laughs> which is pathetic. And and I remember like um, when that come out, the Chicken Song, just being a, a you know a, a kid and thinking it was really <laughs> funny. And then the, I don't know yeah. if it was on the album, but the B side of the Chicken Song was a song called "I've Never Met a Nice South African." And like, and I remember them closing an episode of Spitting Image singing this song. And I remember thinking it was really catchy and sort of singing about I, And I had absolutely no idea what it was about. But I remember, and, and again, a chicken, I have absolutely no idea what that's about. I don't think there's any kind of hidden sort of meaning in, in the chicken song. But, you know, that was like huge television. I remember like asking my parents to like video spit an image for me and like, and just watching it and, and not really understanding it on any level other than the fact it was like slightly recognisable people done as puppets. I didn't realise how anarchic it was. And, mm. and I mean, I think... Yeah, it was anarchic. It was, um, it was satirical, wasn't it, as well? Mm. Like, you know, just uh, just prodding and poking, isn't it? Like, yeah. just taking the piss out of uh, politicians and stuff. But yeah, like you say, as a, as a young child, all you see is these silly sort of puppets making weird faces and uh, a funny song. And that's all it was, really, to me. Yeah, Absolutely. no deeper than that. <laughs> but it's like, um, yeah, it's like there was a lot of weird things like that back in the eighties. Like the cab, was it the garbage pail kids? Do you remember oh, that? Like, do you know what? The right. stickers. Have that this. one with all the fags in his mouth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, so I, imagine kids now. Imagine your kids now, like days, like you know, going to the shop to to buy 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 them, you know, and the, they they were quite they're pretty they're pretty naughty, really, weren't they? Well, <laughs> let, let, let me give you an update. Uh, so I um I have a venue in, in in Essex called the Pink Toothbrush and uh, and and one of the the, the 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 fellas that was a regular there for years I was chatting to because he, he actually listens to his podcast and he sort of messaged he said oh, I listen to the podcast blah 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 I said oh, what are you up to now he said oh I'm, I'm still doing sort of like design work and I was like oh right and he said but I've got hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A job, um, a freelance job, where once a month, garbage pal cards are still huge <laughs> in America. Huge. Right. Uh, so much so that I went and bought a book 
about Garbage Pail Kids about two months ago, which has got all of the oh. iconic ones from when I was a kid that are just flicking through it, like, just going, oh my God, I remember that one, I remember that one. Um, but they still do them now, and then they do a, a wild card where somebody, like, he designs a new character, like, once wow, a month. your friend? And, yeah. Your mate and, does this? Yeah, and they put this one card, X amount of cards, wow. in the packs, and if you get it, that's, like, the golden card. He designs that. There's a lad in Essex that designs that. and Because I was like, oh, mate, you need to – I want some off-the-beaten track artwork as me as a garbage pal kid. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> But, yeah, never happened. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're, still, they're still out there, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, I just remember that, that – I mean, that's amazing, what, you know, that your friends, uh, you know – making new ones great mm. but it's um it, it's just funny i just remember yeah the smell of it isn't it as well like yeah. chewing gum in there and you just had all these weird funny names didn't you like kids spit bruce yeah. lee or like just all sorts of things i don't know i think they made a movie just i think they made a garbage pal kids movie as well like <laughs> there you go <laughs> I don't suppose you expected yeah. to get a little educational segment on the Garbage Pail Kids no, today, Ross, no, but you're welcome, mate. I looked that up. But I say, like, um, going to that record store was like my first sort of intro, basically, into, you know, into that kind of whole world, like collecting music and stuff like that. And um, I, I got into, um, at, basically, at one point in the in, in sort of late, actually, it, was, it would have been sort of early 90s, actually, I was basically like a member of every single library in London. Um, and I didn't get books. Um, I got um, CDs. Yeah. Um, so like I used to go around basically with my backpack on and stock up on CDs from all these libraries and then take them all. And then like I, you know, like all those sort of bands that I'd be trying to find out about, you know, it was a cheap way of finding out about stuff without having to pay 12 quid or whatever it yeah. is. Um, you know, and then, I would sort of make mixtapes for my friends and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I've been making, I've been making lists more or less since like the early nineties of like my top 100 tracks a year. And, um, do you still I love do it? making lists. I still do it. Yeah. Love like that. on Spotify, you know, and having Spotify is just like, it's just opened up a mental world, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you can get anything you want now. Back in the day, you'd have to do some investigation, wouldn't you? Not yeah, anymore. Uh, There's know. no journey anymore. You no. don't need to. Just get your phone out. No. Yeah. And you'd, you'd have to invest as well, wouldn't you? You know, like yep. if you bought a record for 12 quid or whatever it is, you know, you, you, you better hope to hell you like it because if, if you don't, you, you're kind of stuck with it. Absolutely. Aren't you? Absolutely. But then, but then as well, I used to do trading as well, like Notting Hill Arts, not, not, not in, what's it called? The exchange in Notting Hill. Oh, God. There's a place in London. You could, you could take all your old vinyl and swap it vouchers and stuff like that um and um yeah I, uh, I met some interesting people in there you know what's his name used to work in there um saying low used to work he in did it, that's in where he shop. started and you know, i think it was eddie temple morris yeah. that got him that job um correct if i remember correct. rightly um, yeah, correct correct because i remember him as well from back in the day as well because mm. i remember me and will we went to see oasis at, um what was that place hmv i think it was on oxford street yeah and um, in the same queue as us, and was um, where Eddie Temple Morris was there and interviewing people from uh, MTV. Oh, I know. And uh, yeah. Geezer Face was there. What's his name? Pete Doherty was there yeah. as well. And I said to Will the other day, we were in that same queue with him. Do you remember that? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, we, and we remember him when he used to sell, he used to sell uh, fanzines 
at QPR. Oh, course, like, yeah. Was a massive QPR fan and, um, and all that. But anyway, sorry, digressing a bit. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. I, uh, it's weird you mentioned that record exchange. I, like in, in the sort of late 80s, I was obsessed with mute records and, uh, and, and me and me mate, uh, the, the, the cunt and the gang guy, funnily enough, uh, used to go up to Mute Records in Harrow Road at the time and just like, just be a nuisance. Just go like, all right, is there any anything, like any promos we could have? Like, we just wanted like anything to do with like Depeche Mode or Erasure yeah. or anything like that. And, it's yeah. and, uh, and in the end, they were just getting bored of us turning up. They'd like give us a few bits, but they gave me a Depeche Mode candle just to get rid of me. And, uh, and then one day we took another mate up there. And then as, as we left, there was like a box outside that had been delivered. And he was like, I'm nicking that. And I was like, really? And like, I was I was a bit of a good boy. I weren't that anarchic. And he was like, yeah, I'm nicking it. And I was like, oh, God. And so we like legged it with this box from outside Harrow Road. Uh, and inside it was these like box sets of Sun Ra stuff. And, oh. and I didn't know who Sun Ra was at the time. Oh, um, mate, you must have got your head blown off when you listened to that. <laughs> that was, I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't get to listen to it because we just went straight to Nottingham Record Exchange and fucking part X'd it for like, I think like an yeah. Atomic Dustbin album or something like that. But like, I literally just like, <laughs> I, think, I probably sold them box sets, must have been worth a fortune. I think we got like 20 quid or something like that or like 30 quid's worth of like credit in the shop and just, uh, yeah. <laughs> wanked it up the wall and a load of nonsense what i would have done to have kept hold of one of them now yeah and sunra fantastic uh fantastic you know stuff oh, really insane. good I'm, I, I mean i'm not going to talk about jazz on this podcast but <laughs> i like I, I'm, I'm well into all my sunra and all that stuff but um yeah like yeah i mean even when we were in the band, we used to go and see, uh, you know, different labels and stuff like that. And I, I, I'd always get talking to the guys who used to work in the uh, stock room, you know, and they'd sort of say, oh, have you heard, you know, have you heard this, have you heard that? And uh, I used to love um, just music heads, isn't it? Yeah. You know, just they, they'd give you a couple of promos and you'd be like, oh. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Like, uh, Anton Brooks, there's a guy called Anton Brooks, who um, he was a publicist. He worked for Bad Moon Publicity. And he's a legend. Um, he was on, he'd done Nirvana basically at their publicity and loads of other bands like Beastie Boys, stuff like that. And he was on, he was on that. There was a documentary recently about Nirvana in London or uh, Nirvana in England. Do you know what I think? Where do I know that name from? It's from that doc, of course. Yeah. And Anton's all over that. And he's like the most loveliest guy and probably one of the best people I've ever met in the music industry mm. um, because he was a proper music fan. Like he, yeah. he, he, he was just in to music and he, he he was all every time we went to see him he, he used, it's funny because he used to own the publishing the, the publicity company and uh, he'd be like Ross have you heard this have you heard that yeah, yeah put that in your bag Ross and he'd sort of but I'd leave there with about 20 CDs and all, the, all of the people that used to work for him used to sort of complain to him going oh Anton we're meant to be sending this out to record, to, to enemy to review not giving them all to Ross yeah but that doc was I love great that about, about him it was really that good. Doc that was doc. good. It yeah. was good. There's quite a few people in there as well that like, uh, yeah, like, uh, what's his name? In, well, was, um, Stephen Mack was in it, wasn't yeah. he, for a bit? And, Dave um, McLean, who, uh, I've got to sit and chat to on this podcast, actually. He was one of the first guys that brought him over to play. And, yeah, yes. amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, right, let's go clubbing. Song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please. 
Yeah, right. Okay. So, um, I mean, this was a real hard one too, you know, because there's so many songs that, you know, I think of um, that bring me back to a certain period in my life or a certain time. You know, like songs to me are like time machines. You know, if I want to go and feel like a 16-year-old again, you know, there are certain songs I'll put on. If I want to be reminded of like, you know, skateboarding, you know, in, in down South Bank, I'll listen to some hardcore music or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was thinking about when you asked me this question, I was thinking about that. I was like, well, what does remind me of my coming years? There's so many songs. Um, and and the, the one that I remember sort of having a, a, a sort of an emotional effect on me was Iggy Pop's Lust for Life, yeah. which was just like, it's like one of them standard tunes in it that just gets played in every indie club, basically. Yeah. And I could have chose that probably for like, you know, your first question, the, the opener, you know, cause you've got them drums. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it, it just gets you going, doesn't it? And I remember like, um, back in the day, I used to go to a lot of clubs in, uh, London, like the, um, the, 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 I'll name a few of them. There was the WAG club. There was cabbage patch club, um, yep. automatic, um, feet first at Cameron Palace. Um, Jonathan e- and Eco, they used to put on quite a lot of mm-hmm. uh, sort of stuff. And um, <clears throat> also the Russell Arms. There was this sort of um, place. It was like a sort of club. Um, where was it? It was in between kind of Camden and um, oh, I can't remember where it was now. Where, it was up North London somewhere. But where was Automatic when you it, used to go there? It was in Les- off Leicester Square Gas Club. Yeah, yeah, Fuck, it was quite you, small. It was really small. Like that is yeah. like that you know, was. Uh, I, I I adored that club. That was my first London clubbing experience, and it, we went every Wednesday to Automatic, and I got to become friends with Jeff. And obviously, Jeff Automatic is still you know doing bits and pieces now. And I don't know if you know the warm up DJ back then. I know you're going to say Errol yeah. Alkin. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, Errol, Errol. So I used to know Errol and all that lot, man. Yeah, oh, I don't know if he'll remember me, actually, but he, 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 I used to bother him all the time. Like, I'd be like, mate, can you put put <laughs> put this on, put that on, you know, like <laughs> when you get, you sort of put your little request into the DJ. And <sighs> I, I, used to, I used to bother him like nobody's business. It's so nice um, to speak to someone that went to that night uh, because I loved that night. Yeah, and they used to do... Um, we were pretty young, actually, when we used to go. We were definitely underage. Yeah, because I but, could only have been about nineteen then. Like, so yeah, you must have yeah. been. You must have been quite young. Yeah, but it, it, they used to back then as well. They used to chop things up, like um, you know, they'd have different sort of genres, wouldn't they? They'd have like the indie music. They'd play like all your classic indie mm. stuff. Then they would do more grunge stuff, or mm. you know, then you have a bit of hip hop, or you know, a bit of old tunes and all that. And I quite like that. Um, but the, the thing, of the, the memory I've got with Lust for Life is that we used to go to this club um, off Tottenham Court Road called Cabbage Patch Club, and it was it was in um, it was mile. You had to, to get to it. You had to get in a lift, which went downstairs to yep. basically an underground car park, which is just totally like I couldn't imagine that happening now. It must have been illegal because the fire hazard there would have been horrendous, yeah. really. But um, <laughs> it was a great club, and a lot of bands played there as well. I saw, I saw um, Verve in there. Yeah, yeah, they all, a lot, all of them bands played there. Like, mm. um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I know Ash definitely played there and sort of basically all those Britpop bands played mm. there, didn't they? I think. But they, they used to do that thing in there where they had stubbies. So you could buy, like, and they were 50p. So, <laughs> you know, you could buy loads of stubbies <laughs> and sit there, drink them all. And then 
Iggy Pop would come on and I'd just be like, right, I'd be, well, I wasn't like, I, I wasn't like Begbie or anything like that, but <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was like, it was like, right, <laughs> dum, 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 but dum, it's just like, get up, do your little shimmy into the uh, disco and just go mental. Oh, and uh, I think that was the beginnings for me of, uh, of that kind of frontman thing because I was like, yeah, Iggy Pop's like the ultimate frontman to me, you know, just sort of channeling. He's like a chan. He's very good at channeling his, uh, his sort of uh, himself, you know, into the music. And I think that's what you've got to do, you know, to be a good frontman. You need to switch off everything and just be a channel for the, for the tunes, you know, not, not be self-conscious, just, just, just go mental. Don't think about it. You'd be all right. <laughs> 100%. I'm going to take you home, Ross. I want a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, where I'm living now is Hitchin. Um, and there's a great band um, uh, called Emergency Radio. And um, they're a group of lads, like local lads, um, come around the same age as me. Um, and they basically sound like a cross between Jimmy, World and A. Um, it's sort of like high octane punk rock yeah. kind of stuff, a bit like Blink One Eight Two type thing. Um, but yeah, they've just put out like an album um, by themselves, and um, yeah, it's really, really, really good. Um, I've, I, it, I've basically got brainwashed by David Goggins like over the uh, lockdown period. Um, have you heard of him, David Goggins? Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he, he was uh, he, he got me into running, and I just started running, and my mates. Um, basically released this album and uh, this has basically become my running album I kind of put that on where I'm just running like a nut job mm-hmm. and uh, yeah and Dave the singer is really good he's like a good front man and um, yeah I'm, you know I'm uh, sort of hoping in the future maybe we can do some some gigs together I'd say they def- definitely should be on the bill with us um, we'll be doing a gig like in November so um, they should be on the bill too so yeah wonderful um, last track tastemaker now uh tell me please ross a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear oh yeah was it a song or an album or do, does it matter you can choose it's got to be a song no can it be, be a few yeah of course it is whatever you want okay right well i'll go with um number one right go with this guy called mark eric and the album is called A Midsummer's Daydream. And if you go onto Spotify, this geezer's got, he's like 600 monthly listeners. So, you know, no one really listens to him. But it's a kind of lost 60s um, kind of West Coast Beach Boys-esque album. And um, every song on it is just really, really, really good amazing i mean it's 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 astounding how good it is and you think basically most people have never heard of this guy um so i mean if you like the beach boys you'll love this um and it's just brilliant and i don't know any more about it i don't know anything about him i've tried to google him and find out if he's still alive or you know if he's still making songs or whatever but i just i don't know anything about about him other than He's got this amazing album uh, and you can play it on Spotify. So yeah, have a, have a listen to that. It's called Mark Eric and uh, it's a Midsummer's Daydream. 
Lovely. Um, beautiful songs on there. Every time I listen to it, I want to go to LA. I just want to, you know, I want to, you know what I mean? Oh. Um, so yeah, that, that's a good one. There's another guy um, that I'm actually obsessed with called Eden Arbez. Um, and Eden Arbez was a West Coast American songwriter. And he was active, um, I think, from like the late 40s to the early 60s. And he only released one album called Eden's Island. And in loose terms, the sort of genre of his music would probably be sort of psychedelic, exotica type stuff. Yeah. Um, but he was way ahead of his time. Um, and he, you know, he predates like the kind of beatnik movement and all that sort of stuff. Um, and even like the sort of, I think he's quite influential in the sort of hippie movement. And, you know, he was all into that sort of clean living veganism and um, living off the land and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like really sort of, um, it's the mysticism that surrounds him that I like as well. It's just, I like the idea of this guy just like, just living under the Hollywood sign, you know, just yeah. making these amazing uh songs that like they're beautiful songs and um you know what he done was do you know that song um nature boy yeah there was a boy da, 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 da. um who sung that was it nat king cole i think he, mm. that was his big song um oh he wrote that but he wrote that song yeah um so that was his little that was his break basically he done that song and he presented it i think to uh to to, to nat king cole and that was his, that was it basically. Um, that's all he done. But it's, it's weird because he, he worked with a lot of people during the kind of like fifties and sixties and stuff like that. Um, and, um, yeah, like he pops up here and there and there's a really cool picture actually of Brian Wilson in the studio, like filming, um, sorry, recording, uh, pet sounds. And he, he sat next to him Wow. and uh, he's just sat there like a weird sort of mystical character. And, uh, it's funny because they asked Brian Wilson, they said, did, did you know Eden Arbez uh, or remember him? He goes, nope. <laughs> so you don't even remember him being there or anything. And uh, interesting character. I'd, I'd urge anyone to go and look up um, Eden Arbez. But, and also there's another, um, there's a, uh, uh, another band, I think they're from Sweden, um, who basically they found a load of Eden Arbez's manuscripts of songs that he hadn't released. Um, and they basically re-recorded them all and done a whole album called Dharma Land, um, which is really cool, good. They're called um, Ixtahuli. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's I-X-T-A-H-A-E-L-E, Ixtahuli. And okay. I think they're from Sweden. But that's a very interesting album. They've done like a film to go along with that. Um, the making of that album, which is really interesting. And again, and like an amazing album too. Um, and then lastly, um, there's a band called Drug Church for newer stuff that I really like. Um, and they're just like kind of like a hardcore band. Um, I think they're touring with Turnstile, do you know, and Turnstile. Yep. Yeah, I think they're touring with them a bit. And they're playing in Kingston, I think, in the next few weeks. I might see if I can get down there to see them. Um, but yeah, that that's about it really for me. Um, I think. Well, we make it easy for people to go and um, check it out because we will put together a Spotify playlist to accompany uh, the podcast with uh, all of your tunes uh, on it, Ross. Um, Symposium, what's happening, man? 
Yeah, I know. Right. So, um, I mean, obviously we, we, we kind of split up, uh, at the end of 99. Um, and, um, yeah, like recently we, we, we were approached basically by, um, cooking vinyl records mm-hmm. and they were like, Oh, like, you know, none of your stuff is on streaming services. Um, you know, we, we can put it out for you if you want. So we were like, brilliant, you know, like, that's great. Um, so yeah, um, cooking vinyl, I put all our stuff out now on streaming services. So you can listen to our first two albums and, um, yeah, we're sort of doing a gig in November, um, which is sold out. Um, that's at the London Islington assembly halls in London. And, um, it's been really nice. Like, um, there was a guy that basically started our a Facebook page for us. Um, and he was just like nagging at us for basically 20 years to get back together. And, um, it's, uh, it, it, sadly he, he passed away actually, but, um, you know, it's, it's sort of thanks to him really as well that he kind of kept, kept prodding us to yeah. say, yeah, come on lads, get that together. And, um, it's been really nice really just sort of reading all the comments on our Facebook page, Instagram and all that, you know, people kind of sharing their memories from back then, you know, like kids that were like the same age as ours, just sort of, yeah. you know, it's been quite, quite nice for me. Uh, personally it's just sort of some sort of validation that we've done something half decent you know <laughs> oh, that's lovely man have you been back in yeah. the rehearsal studio yet we have yeah yeah we've been back in the rehearsal rooms nothing's changed um we're all still cranking it up to 11 and uh it's weird it's very strange it's like um it's just like putting on an old shoe or something or a glove or whatever it is you know it's just like nothing's changed you're all just still the same idiots <laughs> <laughs> oh lovely man lovely so yeah, would there be other maybe. shows um well put it this way if i have my way there'll be new shows there'll be a new album there'll be a the lot mate but <laughs> but I, I think i just we just sort of have to see really how it goes i yeah. think it, it's funny now because we've all obviously we've all got kids and families and yeah. jobs and it's weird isn't it like when you're young you've got zero responsibilities and all the time in the world but as you get older it, it um things are sort of logistically it gets a bit more tricky, doesn't it? You get it? that responsibility got, stuff, don't you? That gets right in the wire stuff, that does. It really does. It really <laughs> does. I would urge any young people who are listening to this podcast now, don't get a job. Don't do it. Just it's a bit, If you're being creative, stay creative for as long as you can, even if it means you're, you know, you're eating Rice Krispies every day or just some <laughs> toast or whatever. Follow your dreams and stick at it. Don't give up, you know, because it's like what you say you know like it's like i mean i don't believe that youth is wasted on the young you know that that phrase you know youth is wasted on the young but it's not but there is a certain period of time isn't there where you've got you you have that i don't know i don't know how to explain it but that weird bit of time where you can be free to just do stuff without having any responsibilities right absolutely and they're the I know, best that's a special time. time. Oh. A lot of good music is always made, isn't it? Up until that, you know, in those early years between, you know, being a teenager to when you're 30 or whatever. That's, I think all my favourite albums have been made by people during that sort of time period. Like, it's 100%. Weird. 100%. I mean, you started this podcast talking about the Stone Roses' first album. Like, you know, that is confident young men they're just thinking they can do anything at that point and that that energy and attitude like you say that mm. serves you well 
It does, man. I bring, I bring it, I, I still bring it with me, you know, like that, the thing that I was talking about attitude and, you know, like having the confidence to just do stuff is that all for me comes from skateboarding, comes from punk rock and it comes from music. And, you know, I, I, I brought that with me into my, you know, in, into my older years. Absolutely. <laughs> now, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a mindset. I'd and be lost. Yeah. Be lost without it completely yeah. completely so if people want to keep up the speed uh with uh shows and and any developments in uh in, in a symposium camp where's the best place to do that ross i would say facebook yeah just have a search on there for symposium band and also our instagram uh feed too is uh is is quite fun we put up silly pictures and stuff wonderful well yeah. we'll tag you uh in this when this episode comes out if that's cool um and yeah mate like, thanks so much for uh, saying yes to coming on here. And uh, it, it's been such a delightful natter, mate. And I, I could literally speak to you for hours. It's been, it's been a real joy. Yeah, me too. Thanks, uh, Stu. It was great to talk to you today. There you go. It's only bloody Ross from Symposium. What a lovely chat. Um, I could have spoke for hours. Hours and hours and hours. I could have just gone on for another hour on skateboarding. Um let alone, I mean, all the usual stuff about confidence and drive and didn't even get time to kind of like uh, get a lot of them questions in because there was just so much joyous nattering about music and, oh, lovely, 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 lovely. Uh, yeah, go give them a follow on the socials. Go check out uh, the Symposium show. Um, go listen to Symposium on the streaming services now because you can. And, uh, yeah, and while you're over there listening to them, why not subscribe to this podcast as well? Um, I told you all about the Patreon and all that gubbins at the beginning, but anything else you need to know about Off The Beat and Track podcast is at the website, Off The Beat and, Beat and, not beaten, beatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. In the meantime, um, just be all right and be nice to each other. See you soon. Love you. Bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Eat it,